You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. We begin our conversation here with the man running this election. David Scanlon is with us. The Secretary of State of New Hampshire, joining us live from the Capitol in Concord. And Mr. Secretary, I appreciate your coming along on this eve of the primary. I'd love to hear uh, about uh, what you think is going to transpire here. And I'd love to ask you about turnout to start. I'm here in Manchester where it kind of looks like any other Monday. We're used to the big primary carnival, and it's been a bit quiet this time, the sense of inevitability. What will that look like when it comes to turnout? Well, I, I fully expect that there's going to be a good turnout tomorrow, certainly on the Republican side. Uh, President Trump has a, has a good, solid base that uh, turns out for him. And the undeclared voters in New Hampshire seem to be mo- motivated to turn out uh, for the Republican primary. Uh, on the Democratic side, usually when there is an incumbent president running for a second term, the turnout is uh, lower than normal. Uh, the unusual case uh, this election is that President Biden's name was not uh, on the ballot because he declined to file here uh, based on the issues we've been having with the Democratic sure. National Committee. Well, in terms of the contested primary, it's Republicans, and I bring our listeners and viewers back to the record in 2016, 285,000. Uh, of course, Donald Trump won that primary. Mr. Secretary, what, what do you think it'll look like this time? Well, I made a prediction of 322,000 voters turning out. Uh, that, is, uh, that would be a record number of Republicans turning out for a presidential primary. Uh, and w- w- the way I came up with that number was looking back at similar primaries uh, and gauging turnout. This was a t- difficult one to predict because for the first time ever, we have two individuals that have served as president of the United States. Uh, that are running in their respective uh, primaries. Uh, And then, um, you know, we have to look at how motivated the undeclared voters seem to be in this state to turn out and vote for a candidate in both parties. This time, the action's on the Republican side. Mm -hmm. I'm compelled by the very practical nature of your work here, dealing with paper ballots, driving them uh, to central locations, There's obviously a great conversation here about election integrity, election security. How confident are you that this will be a clean process tomorrow? This will absolutely be a a clean process. There's no question in my mind. And what what happens in a polling place in New Hampshire is that the moderator will open the polls at the appropriate time. The voters will cast their ballots. Uh, When the polls close, The moderator will come up with the final results at that polling place. Those results will be posted at the polling place. And then the return of votes will be filled out by the moderator that reflects those results. They will come to my office very early the following morning, and we will add them up to certify the the final results. In New Hampshire, the polling places are actually run at the local level by locally elected Uh, officials, a moderator, a clerk, supervisors of the checklist, selectmen. They're all elected by their neighbors and friends and members of the community, and they get those jobs because of their integrity and their ability to do a good job. In a small state, we will have over 6,000 individuals working at the polls, and they're all uh, average citizens of New Hampshire, uh, but they're dedicated to doing a good job and reporting accurate results. So with that said, why does New Hampshire have multiple closing times? How does that potentially complicate your job? Well, it's, it's not that complicated. In, in New Hampshire, the law says the polling places have to be open for, from a minimum of 11 in the morning till 7 o'clock. Many polling places yep. have varying hours in the morning when they start up. But at the end of the night, most polling places close at 7 o'clock. And then there's a handful, uh, maybe a couple dozen, that stay open until 8 mm-hmm. o'clock. So those are the two closing right. times. And I would expect that even with the write-in effort taking place on the Democratic ballot for 
President Biden that we will have results by the end of the night. By the end of the night, I just wonder, after what happened in Iowa, how worried you might be for the Associated Press to make a call at 7 when you still have people in line potentially until 8 o'clock. They called the caucuses a half an hour into the process. Have you been in touch with the Associated Press? Will they wait until all polls are closed? I have not been in touch with the Associated Press. Uh, I would expect, as in prior elections, that results or, or uh, declared outcomes of the election won't be made until after 8 o'clock when all of the polls close. Well, it sounds like you're looking for an impressive turnout despite what seems to be a relatively subdued primary, Mr. Secretary. Give us a bit of a seminar before you leave in geography. Where should we be watching tomorrow night in the communities and counties that will decide the outcome of this election? Is it those along the mass border where you have a concentration of conservative Republican voters? Or will we learn more as we go north through the evening? New Hampshire has some interesting pockets of, uh, of uh, voter turnout. And I think you're, you're correct. There are towns along the southern border with Massachusetts that, that are conservative and will vote heavily Republican. Uh, and then you move up into some of the cities, whether it's Nashua or Manchester, over in the seacoast, Portsmouth, um, uh, or the town of Hanover where Dartmouth College is, you would expect to see higher Democratic turnout yep. there. Um, I think, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's hard to say which towns are going to be bellwether towns in this election because it is very different. Appreciate your joining us on the eve of the primary. Good luck tomorrow, Mr. Secretary. It's great to have you with us here on Bloomberg. David Scanlon live from the Capitol in Concord as we get things started here on the fastest show in politics. This is Balance of Power Radio on the satellite, on the old-fashioned radio, and here on YouTube. I'm Joe Matthew in Manchester, New Hampshire. Thanks for being with us as we introduce two familiar voices and faces here, also with us here in the Bloomberg Bureau that we've set up on Elm Street in Manchester. Laura Davison is with us, Bloomberg Politics correspondent along with Gregory Cordy. It's great to see both of you here, Gregory. Thanks for joining at the table. Laura, based on what we just heard, uh, a bit uh, ambitious maybe on the turnout front. How's that going to look tomorrow, based on your view? Yeah, this is a, a kind of the real question and, and something that both campaigns are looking at closely. Haley's camp in particular wants a strong turnout, especially those undeclareds, which I think will be sort of the, the piece that makes the difference for them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Hampshire is a little bit weird in that um, you can sort of be undeclared. It's not necessarily independent, but you can go in and, and choose a ballot um, on primary day. Um, so this is a, a, a thing that New Hampshire uh, New Hampshireites take very seriously and, you know, go to a bunch of events, meet these candidates and end up deciding, you know, potentially, you know, in the final week up to the primary. Yeah. You've both been on the ground for a few days here, Gregory. What's your thought on a high turnout tomorrow? Does that potentially advantage Nikki Haley? I think the conventional wisdom, and it does, and it's precisely because of those undeclared independent voters that are more traditional Republicans. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, uh, there are a lot of sort of white-collar professional suburbs uh, in the lower tier of the state. They're, yeah. they're really, uh, they're in New Hampshire, but you could really consider them suburbs of Boston. That's right. Uh, and they're within sort of long commuting distance. Uh, and uh, those are, are suburbs that Nikki Haley is going to need a high turnout from if she's going to pull any kind of an upset here. That's, it's interesting when you consider, uh, it's sort of counterintuitive. People think of suburbs as being more moderate, more liberal. But these are folks who work in Boston and have such an allergy to Massachusetts policy and taxes that they move just over the border here into New Hampshire. So while they may be functioning uh, all day long in Massachusetts, they're going to decide likely who the next nominee is. That's advantage, Nikki Haley? Yeah, I mean, as Gregory said, this is really uh, your traditional kind of country club type Republican. They're focused more <laughs> on economic issues, low taxes, uh, low regulation, but maybe a little bit more progressive on social issues. Yeah. They are close to Massachusetts, mm -hmm. uh, but have either, you know, self-selected uh, to, to live across the New Hampshire line where taxes are lower and, and regulations are a little bit more free. Um, you know, this is kind of where we see the, the shifting um, uh, Republican Party of, you know, areas that mm -hmm. used to be, uh, you know, very strong for, uh, for Republicans now, you know, Nikki Haley's still appealing, Donald Trump not so much, and areas uh, like this that Biden won in 2020. We've got a lot of new polling out uh, today. Pick your poll. We could talk about it. But they all came before Ron DeSantis 
dropped out of the race, Gregory. The conventional wisdom there is those votes go to Donald Trump. Those people weren't about to vote for Nikki Haley, and the timing here might be very difficult for her. Well, keep in mind, it's only 6 or 7% of the electorate that, uh, that Ron DeSantis is polling mm-hmm. at. And uh, so they, there's three options for those voters left, right? They can uh, vote for Donald Trump, they can vote for Nikki Haley, or they can stay home. Or th- th- keep in mind, obviously, Ron DeSantis' name is still going to be on the ballot. I would expect, you know, maybe even 1% or 2% might stick with him to send a message, uh, even though he's not on the ballot. Yeah. He, was at the, he was at the stage where he wasn't going to get any delegates anyway. The delegates in New Hampshire are uh, allocated proportionally, but you mm-hmm. have to get at least 10% of the vote to get any delegates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those votes probably go mostly to Trump. That's the conventional wisdom. The, the issues are more aligned there. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeSantis said all along had been pitching himself as a Trump-like Republican, a MAGA Republican, but with a little less baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, and But some of them may also go to uh, Nikki Haley, uh, be, just because if you're going to be for Trump, you've probably have been for Trump all along, uh, and, and maybe you were looking for a non-Trump alternative. Uh, yeah. But it's certainly not enough votes to make up the, the distance between Haley and Trump at this point. We'll hear uh, a bit later on from Governor Chris Sununu, who we spoke with uh, before the broadcast, Laura. He's talking about a strong second, not actually winning this, as I feel like we were hearing a couple of weeks ago. He says that they never made that promise, and I guess we can we can assume that that's the case for now. But even if she wins New Hampshire, what's the path when you see the deficit that she's got in her home state of South Carolina. It's a really tough path. And what you hear Sununu saying about a strong second, and this is all expectation setting right now. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, they're still privately, you know, can be hoping for that first place win. Uh, but, you know, if she comes in, uh, you know, a close second can still, you know, can publicly count that as a, quote, win. Yeah. Uh, but it's tricky. Um, part of the theory of her case is that it's a month until South Carolina and that if she's able to come out of this with some momentum, she can uh, use the Americans for Prosperity money, that uh, Coke back money, to really build a, an operation in South Carolina to turn yeah. out the voters that she needs. Mm-hmm. It's a still a really um, difficult case to make uh, when you just look at, at the deficit she has with Trump um, and just the, the electorate there. It's a lot more similar to Iowa, a lot more evangelical, yeah. and, and she doesn't have quite the same advantage that she does in New Hampshire. Which is saying something when that's your home state. Um, but So it comes down to a case of momentum. That's the argument, right, Gregory? And you've been in touch with the Haley campaign. They say that these numbers will change if she outperforms in New Hampshire. But that's feeling like a wing and a prayer at this point, isn't it? What has been remarkable to me about this entire campaign cycle is just how stable the race has been from the beginning. Uh, Trump's lead has seemed to be impenetrable. Uh, Even as uh, other candidates have surged, and it's really Haley who has really had the momentum, as you say, Trump's numbers haven't budged much. They've always been low 40s uh, or high 40s to, to low 50s uh, in terms of the poll numbers. Um, and that, that 50% line is a magic line. Uh, even if you were to consolidate all the anti-Trump support in yes. the Republican Party, that means you still wouldn't get the numbers that you need to dislodge him from that perch. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're right. That the, the Haley case is that Obviously, Trump is better known. He's been president before. As voters get to know her in each of these early primary states, that will build upon each other. And she will, more than likely, do better in New Hampshire than she did in Iowa. But then she's got to take the next step in South Carolina and yep. do even better. And it's a it's a tall cloud, uh, hill to climb. Got a lot to learn the next 24 to 48 hours. I'm glad you're with us. Gregory Cordy, Laura Davison, thank you. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Where there's smoke, there's fire. The headline in the union leader as this great old newspaper endorses Nikki Haley On the Sunday before the primary, we're going to spend some time with the publisher of The Union Leader uh, as I read in the op-ed. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Nikki Haley is our choice for the 24 first in the nation primary, referring to Nikki Haley as an accountant by career and training, a mother, a military spouse, the child of immigrants, and one with the experience as a successful governor and diplomat. It's a pretty good story to tell if you're running for president. Brendan McQuaid thinks so. He wrote it. The New Hampshire Union leader, president, publisher is with us here at the desk in New Hampshire. Thanks for having us. 
oh. in the Granite State. It's nice to see you. Thanks for being here. By all means. For, uh, for our viewers on YouTube, we've got the union leader here because we love newspapers at Balance of Power. When this dropped on Sunday morning, this has always been a big moment in the New Hampshire primary. People were already moving on. When I look at the last line of this op-ed that you wrote, I'm compelled. Uh, New Hampshire can prove you're right. That the independent-minded voters of the Granite State will not be told the election is a done deal. I've been hearing this is over since I got here. We've been hearing that it's over for about a year and a half. That it was a set thing. It was going to be Trump-Biden again. Yeah. That no one wanted it, but that's what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like that may come to pass, whatever people do. Uh, but our voters haven't had their say yet, and we think they deserve to. But 50,000 people in Iowa essentially have brought us to this point. Possibly, but, you know, Iowa is a state of, uh, I think, over 3 million people, and <laughs> you're talking a tiny percentage of well, those sure. 3 million people. Well, that's right. Yeah. So the Secretary of State earlier this hour told us that we could see record turnout tomorrow. Is that possible in a, when there's a sense of inevitability like this? Um, it's certainly possible. Uh, we're encouraging people. I mean, I don't, I don't care if you like Trump, you want to write in Biden, you want to write in peace or uh, <laughs> ceasefire. Uh -huh. uh, we hope that people get out and vote and exercise their right. Um, it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. So hopefully that'll yeah, get people Yeah, you've got weather out. on your side, yeah, like Iowa. Yeah, but um, I don't know. So many candidates having dropped out before New Hampshire mm -hmm. means that there's a potential that some of those folks who were excited about candidates might not turn out. I want to ask you about your conversations with Nikki Haley and what brought you to this point. But were you disappointed that Ron DeSantis bailed on the eve of the primary? His, his staff, from what I hear, actually thought he was here. They were manning events that never took place yesterday, and he was in Florida the whole time. Yeah, we, we were talking with his campaign up until last week about having him in uh -huh. uh, to talk to he him. He never sat down with you? He never sat down with us, no, no. Um, he was running an Iowa-heavy campaign, mm -hmm. and I think that seems to be what showed him that it wasn't in the cards for him. It seems like such an easy box to check. You go to the union leader, sit down for an ed board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've never actually had an ed board. <laughs> Common misconception. Um, okay. Uh, it's, it's always been uh, just sort of a, a group of us, but not a, not a formal ed board, um, which is nice. We just sit down and have a conversation. But you have to show up and talk to the paper. Yeah. Um, Nikki Haley did. She did. What was that meeting like? Uh, it was it was very nice. Um, did Nikki, you say, "Hey, we got one here," or, did, or did, was was there a deliberation that followed? Um, oh, definitely a deliberation. Yeah, because uh, at that time there were more candidates in the race. Mm -hmm. um, we still had uh, several other candidates who have since dropped out, and we were, you know, hoping to talk to more of them. Um, but it was actually, uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, we had Chris Christie scheduled to come in Thursday morning, <laughs> and he dropped out Wednesday night. How so, about that? Uh, yeah. So even Chris Christie didn't make it to the newsroom. Yeah, and we endorsed him in 2016. Yeah, and he was uh, making a big New Hampshire play. Exactly. I think that might be the first stop he made. Yeah. Donald Trump, I'm guessing not this time, but he did sit down with you in 2016, right? He did sit down with us in 2016, uh, and he was, uh, he was the Donald Trump that we've all come to know over these past several years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, a lot of bravado. Uh, that's, that's who Donald Trump has always been. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't the choice for us, and we didn't think he was the right choice for New Hampshire or the country. So then why Nikki Haley? Why Nikki Haley? Yeah. Nikki Haley uh, is the best candidate on paper and the best candidate in person hmm. um, that we've met in this cycle. She's uh, got a ton of experience. She's a solid uh, communicator. And she's, uh, most importantly to me, she's a candidate of nuance, which... Uh, uh, you're, you're featured in some of the TV commercials from uh, you saw that. Mr. Trump that uh, <laughs> don't like nuance. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think that's important for a leader to have that nuance and to understand that everything's not black and white. It's interesting you mentioned that ad. They, they lifted part of our interview that was specific about raising the Social Security age or reforming right. uh, the benefit somehow. She's the only candidate who went there. Was that part of your conversation? Did you have a sense that she had a plan to deal with entitlements? Oh, yeah. She's, she's going uh, to a couple of places. Um, entitlements are definitely one of them mm -hmm. because that's part of uh, one of the biggest issues facing this country, which is the debt and the deficit. But um, she's going there with that. She's going there with term limits, uh, which is you know not a very popular thing among yeah, the right. uh, folks in Congress that are all turning out to support various candidates. Um, 
she goes there because, uh, you know, she understands that these things are important. She thinks uh, candidates of a certain age should have a cognitive test. <laughs> Do you? I think maybe candidates of all age should have a cognitive <laughs> test. But yeah, I think that there's a the, I think it's a it's a good punchline yeah. uh, for her. Um, but I think it is a valid point mm-hmm. that she is a candidate that was born uh, in the Vietnam era and not the World War Two era. It's a line from your endorsement. We cannot talk about Nikki Haley without addressing the elephant in the room, you say. And the rather old donkey hiding in the White House. I think I know who you're referring to. Nikki Haley, you're right, is an opportunity to vote for a candidate rather than against those two. It's interesting. Were the other candidates all a protest vote? Um, no. Eyes? No, I think, I think uh, it's just that Nikki Haley is one that you can definitely support. Um, Chris Christie built a lot of his campaign on anti-Trump, which a vote against Trump. some of the folks loved him for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't disagree with most of the things that he was saying about Trump. Mm-hmm. But Nikki Haley is running her own campaign. It's not an anti-Trump campaign. Um, and, and, yes, it was Joe Biden we were talking about mm-hmm. who has moved from a, uh, uh, a basement campaign to a Rose Garden campaign, yeah. um, skipping New Hampshire entirely. Uh, which is just outrageous. Well, I'm glad you went there. I talked to Annie Custer at this table the other day, and she's driving this write-in campaign for the president of the United States. I don't know if that's ever happened before, that a president has has to get a write-in like this. Okay, well, here we are. And I wonder how risky it is for him, knowing that Dean Phillips is out there uh, beating the drum every day. Could we be in a world where Joe Biden... Gets less than fifty percent. Uh, yeah, or, or or loses to a Dean Phillips, That's who's incredible. actually here in the state and yeah. campaigning. Um, yeah, it's possible. Uh, they're they're trying to save him from the embarrassment. Uh, our editorial today points out that he deserves to be embarrassed. He deserves to be embarrassed for what he's done to democracy in killing the New Hampshire primary on the Democratic side, but also the Iowa caucus. I don't know if you've ever experienced the Democratic Iowa caucus, but it was a, a thing of beauty to watch these neighbors yeah. go one-on-one yeah, yeah. and convince each other when their candidate didn't have enough support to join another team. There's no team. more crossing the uh, gymnasium. No, no, no. It's it's a it's a you know remote sort of ballot fill-in. And, be a and, and we'll, we'll know later sometime and no one will care. <laughs> well, so this is interesting. You're, you say that He's doing damage to democracy. He says that he's turning his attention to a more diverse field, that New Hampshire doesn't represent the nation in its makeup, in its demographics. How do you answer that? Uh, so I, I was discussing this with someone over the weekend. Um, you know, if you look at New Hampshire, we're, we're not a, a hugely racially diverse right. state. Right. They say it's an old white state. Let's say it out loud. But we are incredibly diverse in terms of politics in terms of thought, in terms of demographics of people, mm-hmm. uh, income levels all over the place, education levels all over the place. And the thing that really helps uh, in the primary is that we allow our undeclared voters to vote for mm. either party. That's they right. can choose either ballot. So and that, will that result in a surprise? I think it might. Those people are really hard to pin down. And um, you know, I was talking to someone about the polls. You know, oh, the polls, the polls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Hampshire people love to mess with pollsters. <laughs> it's sport, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm out of time, but I wonder your thoughts on an early call tomorrow night. Is AP going to step in before people are done voting at 8 o'clock? Um, I, I don't know. I, I hope not. I know that, that that happened in Iowa. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's a, a disservice uh, whenever anyone does that. Um, it's It's funny. You know, they, they may call it for Donald Trump, who was aghast when that happened in 2020 how, how true. against yeah. him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this time. I'm really glad you came by to see us. Well, we I'm, feel like it's important to be in New Hampshire. And as long as this contest is going on, we'll be here for it. It's great to meet you in person. I'm glad you guys are here because yes, many indeed. of your colleagues aren't. Yes, indeed. Well, Bloomberg is on the ground. And uh, it's great to have Brendan McQuaid with us from the Union Leader. Thanks for bringing the paper. And it's good to see you. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. Back to Manchester. 
here in New Hampshire where we're waiting uh, for actual voting to take place. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Balance of Power on the radio and on TV. We thank you for joining us. Kaylee, it's a great moment. We're going to do this every day uh, from now on through the cycle, not just here in Manchester, New Hampshire, but also Washington, D.C. And how lucky we are to have two hours of balance of power on both Bloomberg television and radio, because it is a very important cycle, even if it's one, Joe, that frankly, we might not have seen one like it before, considering we are now in the second contest state, the first in the nation primary, and we were having a very realistic conversation as to whether or not the primary race actually ends come tomorrow. Correct. The departure of Ron DeSantis uh, late yesterday, which caught even his own staff by surprise, uh, has many folks wondering if this is already over, whether Nikki Haley will make it to her home state of South Carolina, where currently Donald Trump holds a commanding lead. And all of that to say, that is with the support of perhaps the most powerful surrogate she could have in the state of New Hampshire, the governor, Chris Sununu, who isn't Mm -hmm. just someone who has endorsed her, but has been next to her on almost every single campaign stop she has made in recent days, has talked to people like us, really tried to be her surrogate. And he's very popular here in New Hampshire, and it may not prove to be enough. Not uh, a fan of Donald Trump. He was no. going to work with the candidate he thought could defeat Trump here. It was the most sought-after endorsement uh, in New Hampshire. And we sat down with him for an important conversation here, Kaylee. A pretty remarkable moment to hear from the governor, who's looking at the very same polls that we are, who knows what an uphill lot. climb this will be for his candidate. We sat down here at the table to spend time now with Governor Chris Sununu. Let's listen. Fine. Iowa picks corn, New Hampshire picks presidents. I know someone who created that You've heard that, that line. before. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that said, will New Hampshire pick the next president of the United States? Oh, I hope so. Uh, I hope so. Look, um, obviously I'm 110% behind Nikki. She's the one that's earning it on the ground. She's the one with all the momentum. Um, you know, Trump has his numbers. He's effectively the incumbent, but his numbers have been really stagnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikki's the one that's been surging. She had a very good showing in Iowa. We, right now, the the... I think she just has to show that she's building on that here. If she can win, that'd be amazing, right? It doesn't have to happen. Um, carry that kind of momentum into South Carolina, into her home state, with, what, three or four weeks or something like that before the South Carolina primary even happens. And mm-hmm. she obviously has a huge record of success running there. So, no, I, I'm very hopeful that, that this is just this momentum is going to continue to build as we get into Super Tuesday. But she's currently farther behind the former president in South Carolina than she is here in New Hampshire. So if she can't win here, how could yeah. she win there? Well, no one's campaigned in South Carolina yet, right? So that, that should be expected. He's the incumbent. She hasn't been there and uh, hasn't really put a campaign uh, on the ground there. I mean, a little bit here and there. But it's Trump versus Haley. It is. So no one, no one should be surprised because the, the conversation isn't happening on the ground there. Hmm. As the conversation happened in Iowa, her numbers soared. As the conversation's happening in New Hampshire, her numbers soar. And as the conversation's going to happen in South Carolina, the sky's the limit for the former governor. So winning New Hampshire is not necessarily required to win. No, definitely. Were we, were we saying back in November, December that New Hampshire was an absolute win, had to be an absolute win for someone other than Trump? No, no one's been ever been saying that. I mean, recently Trump's trying to build that narrative effectively, mm-hmm. but because he just wants to knock everyone out. But Nikki is the one that has knocked all these other candidates out of the race. Well, you have said, though, a strong second no. uh, could be in the offing. What does that look like? Define a strong second. You know, I, I think, again, just showing, a, uh, I think, stronger performance than, than, than was in Iowa. That's the most important piece, right? And having less candidates in the race and defining it as a one-on-one race. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the last few days, again, with the momentum, with the fact that she's doing the grassroots campaigning, she's going all across the state. She's engaging with voters every which way. Trump flies in, does a rally. Um, they're not even very big rallies, actually, and then flies out of here. So... He's kind of taking advantage of his role as the you know, standard bearer, if you will, of the party for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's the one that's earning it. And, and she, again, her numbers are soaring and his are stagnant. Well, but his numbers are roughly in the ballpark of about half of voters. He had more than half in Iowa. Sure. He's pulling around half of yeah. voters in New Hampshire, the same ones that voted you into office yeah. on multiple occasions. Yeah. If it's the conservatives in Iowa and moderates and independents in New Hampshire and she can't get enough of either, what is the demographic that is supposed to elect her as president of the United States? Well, again, let's, let's start here. Imagine if you're the former president and your own party, you can barely get 50% of the vote. Mm-hmm. That's why Trump's in trouble. Right. So now that you have somebody new on the scene, kind of building that kind of momentum is huge. And the key is that it's a one on one race. So if Trump can barely hold 50 percent or keep him under 50 percent in a one on one race, well, the math says that 
there's 51% to Nikki Haley, and that's what you need to win a state. Now, I don't think any of these early states are must-wins for Haley. I don't think that's ever been the case. Hmm. Um, they're possible, but they're not must-wins. I think when you get to Super Tuesday, okay, now you really have to start winning states, obviously. But as long as she keeps building on that momentum, I think there's a lot of opportunity. She has money. She has resources. She has, uh, uh, you know, knows how to win in New Hampshire, knows how to win in South Carolina. So um, all the wind is at her back. Annie Custer sat in this chair uh, a short time ago and said, we want you to write in Joe Biden. There's a, there's a write-in campaign for the president of it's the crazy. United States, which is remarkable. But she said, if not, vote for Nikki. Just don't vote for Trump. When you have a Democrat talking like this and Donald Trump across the street yeah. saying Democrats are infiltrating the process here to vote for the Nikki Democrats cannot vote. Democrats cannot vote cannot. in New Hampshire. Of course they Well, you cannot. say, of course, I, like, I had other stations. I mean, you guys get it, but I had other stations being like, Talking about Democrats, vote, Democrats are not voting in the Republican sure. primary at but all. But this idea that Democrat-leaning independents are going to make a difference here in New Hampshire, and there aren't enough New Hampshires yeah. to keep doing that across the country. Yeah, well, independents have always been able to mm -hmm. vote in a process, both sure. Democrat and Republican. Um, and, and they're not independents in New Hampshire. They're undeclared. Of course. So you could have hard Trump supporters and hard Bernie Sanders socialists uh, within the undeclared uh, spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, this year, they're more likely to play on the Republican side because there's no, nobody cares about the Democrat side. So that's all. So you're just going to see a lot more folks play there. And they tend to want change. That's it. They want the next new thing. They want the, like, there's the, the Republicans that are within that independent group really are Republicans, right? They understand Trump doesn't carry Republican values. Was he fiscally conservative? No. Uh, he, he had tax cuts that supposedly helped the economy, but then borrowed seven trillion dollars to do it. That's like saying to your family, hey, look at this wonderful new house we're living in, and you just paid for it on a credit card, right? It's, it's a falsehood. He doesn't believe in limited government. He believes in this kind of dictatorship. He doesn't believe in local control. He believes in Washington. So those are not Republican values. So I think a lot of the Republicans within that undeclared and those conservatives are very much coming over to Nikki's side. Would it be fair, Governor, to say the Republican Party that Trump represents is not your Republican Party, not the Republican Party of your father. Put, put it well. Put put it this way: I saw a bumper sticker the other day that says, "I don't vote Republican; I just vote Trump." <laughs> He's his own entity. Mm -hmm. He doesn't define the Republican Party at all. But you have said because he, if he were to be the Republican nominee, and because you are a Republican, yeah. you would support. Yeah, him. I think most people would. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Yeah. Even though he don't think he actually carries the values of the Republican Party? Well, look, Joe Biden, that's how bad Joe Biden is. I mean, I always say that. I mean, this is what, what, what has happened with inflation and all of that. The one thing I, I, I suppose that I'm hopeful, again, I'm hopeful it's Nikki. I think she can do it. Any Republican would build a much better team than Joe Biden. I mean, the team that Joe Biden has put in there and, and with the rules and the regulations that are just crushing families, they're just crushing local locals and state governments. And nothing can be developed, nothing can be built, nothing can move forward. So, no, I, look, I'm excited about Nikki Haley being the nominee. That's why we're here in New Hampshire. This is where I don't want to say it, can, it all turns around because she's already made the turnaround, right? It's already gone from 13 candidates to a one-on-one -on -one race. That in itself is amazing. This is where, again, she just keeps adding kind of gasoline to that fire and keeps driving forward. You talk about Trump team building. Of course, most of Trump's team has come out against him. Him, uh, following the administration, many of them were tell fired you on Twitter. Yeah. But so, you know, the, the quality of a team might only be as strong as, as long as you can keep it together. But I want to hear the argument, though. You're prepared to vote for Donald Trump if it's a Trump-Biden election. You've made According that According to the polls, you know, most of America would. I mean, he beats Biden. Well, but right but you're trying I mean, to keep that from happening. Yeah. Why is Nikki Haley, let's yeah. talk about your yeah. candidate, better for New Hampshire than Donald Trump? So in the latest polls... Um, Trump, New Hampshire hasn't gone Republican in the general election in about 20 years. And then the latest polls show that Trump gets crushed in New Hampshire against Biden. Mm -hmm. Nikki wins. Right. Nikki allows the Republicans in New Hampshire to win this state again in November. And that would happen in a lot of states across the country. So at the end of the day, you know, we can disagree on a policy here or there, but you got to win. You can't govern if you don't win. And Nikki not just beats Biden here in New Hampshire, but would beat him across the country. It's interesting, though. You didn't reach for a policy. You just want to pick a winner, is your point. Well, because you know what Nikki does? She'll, she makes sure that um, as I leave, we're going to get a Republican governor. And we're in Manchester right now. They should have a Republican congressman, but we haven't able, been able to win the seat, even though it's more Republican-leaning. Mm -hmm. So because of that Trump brand, we've lost in 2018 mm -hmm. and 2020. And 2022, I'm so tired of losing, and I'm tired of losers, and I think we're just tired of that brand that just drags the rest of the Republican Party down, 
right? What's the point of scraping out a win in the presidency if you lose everything else like he has time and time and time again? So, you know, I want Republicans to win across the board. Nikki allows us to do that. So do you think ultimately the biggest differentiator for you between the former president and Governor Ambassador Haley is not necessarily their policy differences, but their ability to execute on That's that it. policy? You've hit it. So Nikki, when, when you're governor, you don't get away with trying something and it doesn't happen and all, and you just let it go. Healthcare reform didn't happen. Securing the border didn't, and building the wall didn't happen. Two of his biggest promises, right? Being fiscally responsible didn't happen. Um, you know, decentralizing government, allowing states to have more control didn't happen. So Nikki, as a governor, you're always held accountable. This is a 24-7 job for us. She goes in with that mentality. And, the, you know, she's going to manage the Senate. She's going to demand accountability. She's going to demand a balanced budget, right? She's going to demand that, that government at, at its core level just read up to, uh, live up to its most basic expectations of getting something done and moving the ball forward. And she carries those conservative ideals to actually get it done. It's pretty cool. Her closing argument, though, is that Donald Trump is a bully. He's too old. He's not cognitively well. That starts the he discussion. Bring, we could be here all day. He'll if we bring went chaos. Yeah. But to think that you would vote for him yeah. as the nominee, knowing that you'd be inviting all of that back, says a lot about but, where But we remember, are. if you don't, in a binary race, if you don't vote for one, you're voting for the other. Okay. And I, I ain't voting for Joe Biden. I don't think anyone wants Joe Biden on Joe there. Biden is that much worse than the chaos and the bullying that you framed, though, is what you're saying. Does Joe Biden, get, Joe Biden has to be let off a stage by his hand. God bless the guy. He, 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 he's not there. There's no management. There's no sense of control. There's no sense of, of any of this at all. So, you know. And you think it's about potentially the future team that a Trump administration, a second Trump administration could build. Should Nikki Haley be part of that team? Do you think it would be likely? Look, I'm just focused on Nikki Haley winning the, the, the primary right now. I mean, really, I, what Nikki wants to do in the future, she could do anything. I mean, she's, she's that amazing and that qualified. The focus right now is, is showing America that Republicans are looking at an alternative. They might not want an alternative out of Biden. That's going to be a, a problem for Democrats. Mm -hmm. But on the Republican side, we're actually giving a shot here. We're not just saying it's a fait accompli for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Nikki's surging. A lot of folks are galvanizing behind her. We're going to have record turnout here. I mean, think about Iowa, right? When people say, well, I guess, I guess it's over. Because 56,000 people in Iowa voted for Trump, that's like 2% of the population. Mm. 56,000 people are going to determine the pick of the Republican nomination in America? I don't think so. No, 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 no. So you got to let this thing play out. I know the media just wants to call it. It's a good talking point. But you got to let this thing play out and make sure that the voters, not the media, not me, not Nikki, but the voters, that's, that's democracy. Let them go to the polls and decide what's going to happen. I wonder if the party's trying to call this, though. That Tim Scott endorsement, I realize endorsements don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but no. the timing was significant. He could have waited for that. Nobody cares about Tim Scott. South Carolina. Nobody cares about Tim no. Scott. Nikki Haley doesn't care about Tim Scott. She no. appointed him to the Senate. Yeah, that's right. And that's why the, the endorsement, right? So Nikki, Tim Scott wouldn't be a senator without Nikki that's Haley. Right. That's why what he did was so disrespectful. Again, why? Because the Senate doesn't want to be held accountable. Nikki's going to hold government accountable. That's an amazing opportunity for America. Trump didn't do any of that, right? So, you know, I, I, found, it, I found the whole thing you know, pretty disrespectful, but nobody really cares. He's a senator. How about your future? You're happy you didn't run. And oh, by sure. that, I mean for president and Senate. You made that yeah. pretty clear. Look but, at look at what's yeah. going on there now. You could be in the middle of that. Oh, sure. What's next for you, though? I don't know. Are you look, looking at 28? One thing, let me go back to Nikki a little bit. One thing Nikki and I both agree with, no, really, it's public service, uh -huh. not a public career. Uh -huh. Right? She wants term limits. She, she, and, and again, we don't have term limits in New Hampshire, but you self-impose them. you got to sure. do the right thing. So you serve your state or you serve your government or you serve your community the best you can. And then you get back to do you go back, back in the private sector? sector? Yeah, or do you absolutely. have an issues campaign that you might follow? No, no, no. I'm just looking forward to get back into the private sector. And, and that's what everybody should do. Service. Then you get back to the private sector. You let new ideas and a new generation move forward. Mm -hmm. But you're not taking 2028 fully off the table? For myself? Yeah. No, I'm not running for anything in 28. I have no plans. No. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Fair sorry, I don't mean to let you down. <laughs> I'll still be on here. If you guys, maybe in a year, I'll send you a resume. Who knows? That, we'll I, well, I, that's for sure. We'll take it up with maybe our Maybe you'll manager. send Nikki Haley a resume. You're, you, you think she's going to be the next president, don't oh, you? Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, it would be awesome. And, and she can you do it. You seem to she's be open to one. options, though. I'm, of course I'm open to I'm open to everything. Look, I, I do have a 24-7 job. I mean, I literally am governor as we're sitting here, and I, I will be governor for the next year. But there's, there's a lot on the table. I'm a mm -hmm. business guy. I'm an economics guy. You know, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I love helping businesses. I think businesses get way too involved in politics. 
chicks and that sort of thing. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a big believer when you're selling a product, focus on selling the product. Don't get involved in the political wokeism and all that kind of garbage. So we've, we've helped a few companies here and there with that. Mm -hmm. Well, Governor, we do business and economics yes. here as well. That's kind of our thing here yeah. at Bloomberg. And if Absolutely. you actually look at the economic data, if you look at how businesses are faring, you have the stock market at a record high. You have inflation on a downward trajectory, yeah. growth in the labor market still yeah. hanging in there. And I know you don't think that the yeah. Biden administration has been particularly successful, but is that not something that a future president and President Haley would want to replicate? Um, the, most important, the most important data points are families. Let's look at national credit card debt. Let's look at what everybody owes, right? The, the spending that has gone on, not just with the government, but now with personal spending, and the fact that inflation is crushing folks. And this whole idea that, we're, that the Fed is coming out and getting lower rates, I'm telling you, mm. the, the piper has to be paid at some point. I think we are in turn for, in, in store for an economic downturn. Mm. That's why I want an accountant like Nikki Haley to be president of the United States, because you need someone that can manage and understands these things at a fundamental issue. Donald Trump's economic policy is, I'll just keep borrowing money and you guys will have to pay it back sometime to keep everything floating. Mm. And everyone gives them a pass on that. But at the end of the day, if you look at housing prices, if you look at the workforce issues that's hap that are happening across the country, limited services that are happening, the, the record high credit card debt, the fact that people are still struggling to, to put uh, fuel in their homes, the fact that we're not energy dominant, which we should be, and Nikki wants us to, wants the US to bring it there. US pumped a record amount of oil last year. But we're not keeping up with, with, with what is needed. Yeah, you can pump a record amount, but again, if you're not keeping up with, with what is needed, you have supply chain issues, that, that creates energy at the heart of, is at the heart of inflation. Inflation is created by one thing, right? Government prints and borrows too much money. That's it. That's all that causes inflation. But the second biggest issue around that is energy. We could be energy dominant, which allows products to go from A to B much quicker, products to be created a lot cheaper. And at the end of the day, inflation is the worst tax on low-income families you can imagine. Because a wealthy family can handle inflation. Eh, it might pinch us a little bit, but we'll be okay. Low-income families are getting crushed. They can't take their family to McDonald's for less than 35 bucks. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So it's those on-the-ground issues. Stock market, okay, fine. That could be inflated, whatever it might be. These kind of big-ticket items that might be talked about in the press. But go out there and talk to these families. They can't find housing. They're, they're getting Because you can't build it. Why? Because it costs so much just to build housing. And when you do, it's $2,500 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. These are the kitchen table issues. Um, child care. Nikki was at a child care center this past week. Families can barely afford child care. And one of the reasons is we can't find child care workers. So, again, you've got to have the education system to create the, the, um, the infrastructure for you for all these issues. So you can talk about big ticket items here, but what's happening on the ground in America right now is very, very different. I know you've got a lot of families figuring out when to fill up the oil tank. Uh, right now, right here in New Hampshire. outside this morning. It's a very real thing. People on fixed income. You know, let's talk about the Social Security issue. Social Security is going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. By law, there is a 22%, 23% cut in benefits coming mm -hmm. in about 10 years. That's in the law. Trump says that we'll do nothing to stop it. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm not going to stop it. Nikki's the only one that has a way to stop the benefits from being cut and allowing everyone to keep the benefits that they've been promised but she's the only one willing to engage on that issue. That's a huge issue. If you're a senior, you should be scared to death that Donald Trump well, I'm gets I'm glad elected. you mentioned that because there's an ad running that the Trump campaign has that's got my face in it talking to Nikki Haley about Social Security. Uh, it's remarkable. The claims in, in the ad go far beyond what she said. This is a big deal for an aging population yes. in New Hampshire, never mind the rest of the country. Yep. Does she need to put a finer point on that policy and say this will be the age and this is what we're going to yeah. tell 21-year-olds or 20-year-olds when it comes time for them to start. Sure. Paying. So, look, I think she's been talking about it. I think, again, the Trump ads and all the negativity and the lies and everything, he just says whatever he wants to say just to, to bash on Nikki. But at the end of the day, it's his complacency on Social Security that allows it to go bankrupt. He's, he's effectively acknowledged it. And that cut is coming. And, again, if you're a senior, you should be scared to death that you'd be potentially getting behind Donald Trump, when he says the cuts are coming, there's nothing you can do about it. He has that in common with Joe Biden, doesn't he? That's right. They're nobody's, both, they're both hands off. But it is going bankrupt. This isn't like, oh, it might, it might not. It is going bankrupt. The cuts are coming. Someone like Nikki Haley has to get in there to show how to maintain those benefits, maintain those services for the elderly, and, again, allow the system to be uh, solvent once again. It can be done. It's just good math. And, it, and again, it's also holding Congress accountable so they do their job as well. Maybe you should have run. You could have brought that issue to run. <laughs>
You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. I'm Joe Matthew alongside Kaylee Lines. A tour de force conversation there, yeah. Kaylee. We covered a lot of ground uh, in a conversation that you're not going to hear anywhere else, which is why it was featured today in the Boston Globe and the New York Times. Uh, really fascinating to try to get inside his head and and understand his real expectations. I don't know how you quantify a strong second. He didn't seem to want no. to get specific with what a strong second would mean either. I just thought it was so interesting to hear him tell us, after all of the hype about New Hampshire being Nikki Haley's best chance to upset the front runner, mm-hmm. to say that she doesn't have to win here. Isn't that something? And I just wonder if that is an argument that Rick and Jeannie... Yeah. Also by. Yeah, let's bring the panel back in. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with us at the table here. What's your thought on that, Jeannie? We're really, really gaming expectations now, although it's hard to even really figure out, as we just heard, where the governor sets the bar. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I was just thinking, watching your interview, gosh, remember when we thought he might run? And that is an <laughs> yeah. example as to why so he's many he Republicans... He's glad he didn't, he Yeah, he's no glad doubt. he didn't. I think some Republicans wish he did. Um, you know, it is so it is so hard. I think looking at those polls, he wants to lower expectations mm-hmm. so that she can at least meet, meet them, you know. Um, I've heard people say everything from three to seven points she can lose by. But, you know, my view has always been winning New Hampshire is losing for Nikki Haley because Donald Trump has successfully, I think, made her the poster child of the never Trumpers. He talks about her as the, the, the candidate of the globalists, the candidates of the media, the candidate of the Democrats, a vote for her is a vote for Joe Biden. So even if she was to, you know, just beat expectations and win, he is going to make it really, really difficult for her to go down to South Carolina with those demographics and to okay. really push this thing through. So, Rick, is this a lose-lose situation for Nikki Haley? No, I think she can only win, right? I mean, look, she's got it down to a two-person race. There, There is a ticket out of New Hampshire, regardless of if you beat Donald Trump. <laughs> and remember, he's won one caucus with 50,000 people. That does not speak for the entire Republican Party, including independents and non-aligns who do participate as Republicans here in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the thing that I always get a kick out of is Donald Trump makes a big deal about this issue of Nikki having independent support here, but he does too. He has 38% of his ballot. That 50% Mm -hmm. is contributed by 38% independent voters. So uh, it's, look, these are the rules of the road. Everybody knows it when they sign in to run here. And it's historically always been a factor as much as 40%, maybe more this time, of the vote tomorrow will be these unaligned voters who become Republicans at least for the day. And that's what a good rep- recruiting mechanism. Just quickly, we're going to hear from uh, Congresswoman Annie Custer uh, in just a moment. Jeannie's talking about lowering expectations. You've been part of this before. Is that is that what you do on the eve of her winning? You, you try to make this look like a bigger deal than it would be otherwise? Do they think they're going to win and they're telling us a strong second? Yeah, there's great participation in both the media and the campaign yeah. on expectation. <laughs> media want to create high expectations. Look, at you got to really knock the ball over the fence. You're right. like, no, I can get to second base, and that's a win for me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, so there's a, a lot of yes. work in the ref okay. today. Good. Um, we're going to stick with uh, Rick and Jeannie because I want to hear from you what the Democrats are doing or not doing. We haven't even mentioned Dean Phillips yet. And it's a conversation we had with Congresswoman Annie Custer, Democrat here in New Hampshire from the 2nd District, who's driving a write-in campaign for the president after the DNC got in this confused mess as the president put South Carolina ahead in the line. Here's Congresswoman Annie Custer. We want to make sure that when voters turn out on Tuesday, that they know they can write in Joe Biden's name, just go to the bottom of the ballot. Luckily, it's easy to spell. And uh, they can vote for Joe Biden in the first presidential primary here in New Hampshire. Are you setting expectations on a turnout for Joe Biden? Do you need to reach a certain threshold? What if he gets 60 percent? Is that a bad look? Well, here's the thing. I want to make sure he wins, Mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be impressive, and I think it's going to send him into the next contest and into this primary season with a strong foundation. I want to make sure that people understand we support Joe Biden for a second term. We're proud of the work that he's done domestically, and we're very grateful for his leadership on the world stage. So you're making a statement here. Your delegates must be frustrated, though. Will you make an effort to recognize 
your delegates at the convention when Democrats meet later this year? Sure. I think if it goes well on Tuesday, that won't be any problem at yeah. all. We've been through this before. Um, other, other contests have about whether their delegates will be seated. Look, most New Hampshire voters and even the most engaged people who have been through many, many campaigns, uh, I've been doing this since I was 16 years old. Mm. We're not hung up on delegate selection and all of that. We want to make sure that the voters are heard. And part of the history of the New Hampshire primary is that it came into being so that voters could speak directly on their preference for president mm -hmm. and not have these decisions be made in backdoor uh, business rooms where, you know, pundits get together sure. and make these choices. Would have been nice for the president to make a visit, maybe hold a rally or something, wouldn't it? Well, I have to laugh. We've had, uh, I think we're up to 10 cabinet visits in the last month <laughs> okay. or so, four last week. So I think they're here in spirit. So that's what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. What's Dean Phillips trying to accomplish? Have you spoken to him? Has he asked you for your support? He's asked me for my advice. I told him I thought it was ill-advised, uh, not well-timed. He got in on literally the very last day. And frankly, and I mean this kindly, I think it's unimpressive in terms of the campaign that he put together. As I said, I've been doing this for 50 years. I've seen what it takes. I was in on the ground floor with, Joe ba with uh, Barack Obama. He used to say I was on board before Michelle was on board. And I've seen what it looks like to do dozens of house parties and town hall yeah. meetings and build that grassroots campaign that's going to deliver the vote on Tuesday. He says he grew up here, even learned how to shoot guns as a kid in New Hampshire. What, what doesn't he understand about the Granite State? I don't think he understands much. I, I wow. think that what he's missing is um, that, like other parts of the country, we care to learn and vet a, a candidate. Mm -hmm. And he really hasn't put in the time or built the support. We turn to our, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues to see who is getting support. You're watching this now on the Republican side with Nikki Haley, yeah. with our governor, Chris Sununu. We care a lot about who are the surrogates that are getting behind these candidates. And I don't think he's built the support that would be a, a substantial campaign, a serious campaign. I don't know if you heard Donald Trump last night. He says Democrats are going to vote in this primary to infiltrate the process. That is, of course, not possible. Not do you, possible. Do you wish he was right? Well, look, I think there are many um, undeclared voters, we mm -hmm. call them here in New Hampshire. Yes. They're not registered Democrat or Republican. They're making the decision right now whether to take a Democratic ballot mm -hmm. and write in Joe Biden or whether to take a Republican ballot and vote for Nikki Haley. But the message that they're delivering is the same on Tuesday. Hmm. New Hampshire voters do not want Donald Trump to have a second term. They think that he's not fit to be the president of the United States again. That's fascinating. So you're comfortable with people doing either, as long as I it's not Trump? I think people should do what they feel most comfortable doing. I voted for Joe Biden, and I'm encouraging people to support Joe Biden for a second term. Mm -hmm. But there will be people who will choose to vote in the Republican primary to deliver that message, that anti-Trump message, by voting for Nikki Haley. Huh. And, you know, one part of this story that they understand very well I was one of the last people evacuated from the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Yeah. And they've heard this story. And three weeks ago, they saw the video footage that it was only 30 seconds from when I was evacuated to that. when those insurrectionists are in that hallway hunting for us, trying to disrupt the, the election. And New Hampshire voters know full well that it was Donald Trump that instigated that attack on our government and that was trying to overthrow, overturn the results of the election. So I think the sentiment is very strong and I hope the message will be sent on both sides of the ticket that Donald Trump is not fit for another term. Congresswoman Annie Custer, the Democrat from New Hampshire, talking with us here on Bloomberg Balance of Power in Manchester, New Hampshire. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Matthew. And a quick swing here uh, from Jeannie Shanzano. As a Democrat, is Dean Phillips uh, the spoiler, the problem that she frames him? Or should more Democrats have run? 
You know, there's 21 people on this ballot, including yeah. our old favorite paperboy love prince, who's not there, Joe Biden. <laughs> I just saw him out in the hallway. I don't we know. love him. And, but, you know, Joe Biden, it, it's a write-in. That's tough yes. to win. I think Joe Biden is running this Rose Garden strategy. He really needs to get out there. Bernie Sanders is right face the economic challenges people are confronting in New Hampshire and elsewhere. Yeah. Is this so. risky, though? What if, like we just it, said, what if Dean Phillips beats the president because of this hokey write-in campaign? Yeah, I mean, Dean Phillips has a shot, but it, he's not going to go anywhere out of this except maybe to no labels. You're listening to the Bloomberg Balance of Power podcast. Catch us live weekdays at noon Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Live from the first in the nation primary state. Thanks for being with us on Balance of Power here on Bloomberg TV and radio. I'm Joe Matthew, live in Manchester alongside Kaylee Lines. As we try to figure out what's going to happen 24 hours from now, Kaylee, a big raft of polls dropped this morning. And yes. it's not just the spread that we're looking at. It's the incredible consistency between these polls. Gregory Cordy made the point earlier in the broadcast that this seems to have been, this die seems to have been cast months ago. We haven't mm -hmm. seen much motion, certainly since Chris Christie dropped out of the race. The thought being that this might look like the way the results do tomorrow. Well, even the polling that was showing Haley in single digits behind former President Trump just weeks ago. CNN, for example, yeah. is now showing her double digits. That's important. Behind him. 19-point spread in the Suffolk University Boston Globe poll. 18-point mm -hmm. spread when it comes to Monmouth and the Washington Post. And in the latest Emerson College polling that came out yesterday, Joe, 50% yeah. plan to support Trump, 35% support Nikki Haley, and then 8% support Ron DeSantis, who, of course, as of yesterday afternoon, is no longer in this race right. as he dropped and endorsed Trump. And so was that the worst timing ever is a question for Nikki Haley supporters, because those votes aren't going to Nikki. They're going to Trump from the DeSantis camp. So goes the thinking. But yeah. let's get the opinion now of Spencer Kimball, the Emerson College polling director. So as I said, Spencer, thank you so much for joining us here in Manchester uh, in our studio. Eight percent support for Ron DeSantis. Where does that 8% go? So that conventional wisdom is that he's in the same lane as Trump, and he'll go into Trump's lane. But our polling indicates that those voters are more split. There was a reason why they weren't voting for Trump, and they were voting for DeSantis. And it looks like about 40 45% would actually vote for Haley, and she might actually pick up a few votes there. Remember when Christie dropped out of the race, she didn't pick up all 12 of those points. She only picked up six or seven. And so same thing will probably happen with the DeSantis vote. What's it like as a pollster? When you settle on your numbers and you look around, you see everyone else got almost the same numbers. This is pretty <laughs> unusual. It is. It is. Usually you see a range of scores with yeah. our polls, and then it's going to fall within that range. But we kind of saw this happening in Iowa as well. These numbers were all baked together in that low 50s, and that's what we saw with Trump. A little bit of a surprise with DeSantis. We'll see here in New Hampshire, we're also seeing Trump in that low 50s if those numbers hold. Uh, or were those undecideds break for Haley potentially making it a little closer? Well, in New Hampshire, consistently is a surprise. It's just a question of whether or not everybody's going to be surprised this time around when it seems that everyone feels an inevitability of Trump ultimately, if not outright winning the state. It's going to be very tight, and ultimately it seems, according to everyone Joe and I have talked to here in recent days, that everybody presumes he's going to be the Republican nominee. And part of that is not just the way that he's polling in terms of the headline figures of how much support he has. It's the enthusiasm That's right. of the people who say they are voting for him. What have you seen in your data on that? Yeah, so we ask voters, what's the chances you're going to change your mind or you're going to stick with your candidate? And the Trump vote has been between 75 and 90 percent sticking with Trump. Right now it's at 90 Back in August, it was at 75. So it's only been growing. Uh, Haley, on the other hand, she's at 80% now, but she was at 50. So her vote has locked in over the last couple of weeks. Uh, DeSantis, we saw his numbers drop. His voters were locked in. And in our last poll, we saw 50% were like, hey, we might switch. And I bet you the governor saw that as well and decided maybe it's time to get out of this. We've learned, uh, and this is from a Monmouth poll out today. You might have found this uh, very same thing, Spencer. 47% of potential Republican primary voters are not registered Republicans. This is... This is the, uh, the strange, mysterious, independent voter that we keep <laughs> hearing about. 47% of potential Republican primary voters. What does that mean for Nikki Haley in terms of a potential surprise tomorrow? 
She needs more. She needs 60 percent okay. independent votes because she's losing the Republicans. So these are registered independents yeah. in New Hampshire. They're called undeclared. Undeclares. And, in, and we have registered Republicans. Normally in a party primary, 60 percent are Republicans, 40 percent will be independents. And what we're seeing here is more of a 55-45. What she needs is to flip the script and get actually a larger percentage of independents to come out like 60 percent and only have 40 percent of Republicans vote in this primary. Okay. So high turnout may be what she needs here if she's going to eke something out. And it's just a question of how high that turnout the will be. the Secretary of State told us we'd have a record, which I don't understand walking 000. around Manchester right now. Yeah, it feels quieter it's than at sleepy. least I would have anticipated. Joe really hyped it up to me before we came here. I, and I told this whole story sleepy. about the carnival that comes <laughs> with the New Hampshire primary. We can't get arrested out on Elm Street now. I agree. It's a different atmosphere this time around than I've seen in my 20 years of studying these elections. Yeah. Um, but... Remember, New Hampshire takes their primary very seriously, and the Democrats have moved away from being first in the nation, and the reason why they might come out is to make the statement that they want to stay first. Remember, 2028 is coming. Are they going to stay first in the nation, or are they going to lose out to South Carolina? So that's the reason I think you could see a tremendous turnout, is more of the pride of their state, and you'll see it on the Democratic side as well, even though there's really not a contest. Well, and we know that voters in New Hampshire like to hear from these candidates as much as they possibly can. They could have heard more from Nikki Haley had she actually decided to partake in debates this mm. week, which she did not. Is that having an impact on how she's polling as we get really approach the end game here? Well, we were thinking the same thing. And so we asked the voters, what do you think about her skipping the debates? And for 75%, they said it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now we asked them about Trump skipping all of the debates and for 60% of them, it didn't matter. And for the ones that it mattered, it kind of split. I was thinking you got a debate just for a game changer. You came out of Iowa without that momentum. You needed some sort of focusing event during this week. And she didn't really have that. And unfortunately in her campaign, the focusing event seemed to be the endorsements of Trump by some of her opponents. Tim Scott, And, and uh, you know, he got DeSantis. Yeah. And so that's not what she needed to go into the primary. Uh, we'll see if it plays out for her, though. Well, Spencer, you've done a great job here at Emerson. I went to Emerson College way before there was a polling institute there. <laughs> uh, and you've really put yourself on the map here in a great way. You do great work, and we, we've really enjoyed following the data. Are you ready for the longest general election campaign of your life? <laughs> well, uh, yes. Uh, we're looking forward to studying the election. But remember, we got primaries in Ohio and yeah, California. There's other races. There's a New York third district race that people are interested Ooh, I in. Heard something about so, that. yes, we have pre presidential primary politics, well, but so we'll keep for an that eye reason, out. We, we would love to stay in touch with you, even beyond uh, New Hampshire, and I appreciate you being with us today. My pleasure. It's great to be with great you. Stuff. Spencer Kimball with us from Emerson College polling. These numbers look pretty stubborn right now, Kaylee. Yeah, and they don't look great if you're Nikki Haley or her supporters. And limited times to change minds here, Joe, if uh, the polls open in just about 16 short hours.